Well, as the anticipation uh, mounted during the course of the week, it seemed like every time you turned on the news, it was all lottery all the time. <laughs> With all of those interviews and pictures in line as people were uh, trying to buy their lottery tickets, I understand that it got up to, was it $900 million dollars? Uh, that was available uh, for some, I guess it was like one out of 350 million chance that you could actually win the lottery if, of course, you bought a ticket for the lottery. And so there were people that were just anticipating that. And the news articles, the, the news feeds that I saw were you know, lines of eager people dreaming of abundance and indescribable windfall and there was this in line, this sort of contagious enthusiasm that you would see. Everyone in line thought that they might win. And in some of the news feeds, it actually looked like it was some sort of a party atmosphere, just a sense of cheerfulness and anticipation that was a part of it. Some expressed hope, others certainty that they would have all that they ever needed and dreamed actually of being generous towards others. One critical factor, of course, was necessary they would have to have the right numbers and receive the windfall. Almost a billion dollars, and nobody won. So you can imagine the uh, news feeds from this next week as, uh, as the anticipation and perhaps hope mounts. But every single one of those descriptors that I gave you of what the news was like, those words actually are the same words that appear right in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. They're the same words. Eagerness, contagious enthusiasm, if you move up a little bit you know, into the verses before this, every need supplied, abundance, amazement over what could only be regarded as indescribable, just a harvest of, of abundance and generosity, all of those things. Here's the difference. The people in line this week we're anticipating they would get all of those things if they could win the lottery. The people that Paul was talking about would anticipate that they could get all of those things if they would actually get rid of stuff. On the one hand, people say it can happen if I acquire. On the other hand, Paul was saying, no, actually that and more actually a harvest of righteousness, and many people expressing thanks to God actually happen if you actually give the stuff away. And in the midst of all of this, Paul comes back to that same word that we talked about last Sunday, the word abundance, and that God actually wants abundance for our lives. And Paul just seems to be turning the whole thing upside down and says, it doesn't come because you get, it comes because you give. The word abundance we looked at last, last week, it means to be present in great quantity, more than adequate, oversufficient, richly supplied. And it's more than about resources when we see what God, how God uses the word. We looked at Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 10 last week. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's actually what we see in this text this morning as we look at it, that God wants abundance for us. Uh, he wants abundance for his people. You can see it actually, if we can pull up the text in front of us, you can see in verse 8 it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. 
And the word blessing is to be enriched. And we actually see that in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. And, and that's actually what God wants for his children. Now, for those of you that are hearing, you're just wondering whether you're in on this Christian thing or not. I'm not going to ask you to be generous with money because um, that's not what this is about. This is about people who have said to God that um, our life belongs to him, that we've given our whole lives to Christ, and Christ is now in charge. And one of the expressions or descriptions of that is we choose to be a, live a life like we're sheep. And one of the character traits of sheep that we talked about last week is that sheep don't have belongings. They have possessions. They don't have belongings. You see, all of that we have in our lives no longer belongs to us but to him. I remember between my junior and senior year in high school, I was at a conference and the, the, the preacher spoke right out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, I beg of you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in light of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to him. In fact, in the translation, I had those days that said, and that's reasonable worship. There's actually, that's what I did. Just before my senior year, I said to God, you have my whole life. Every single piece of it. It no longer belongs to me. I don't have any belongings. And there's so many of us that are part of this church family. We made that same decision, didn't we? In fact, you might even say, that's what I did. Why don't you just say that out loud? That's what I did. Say it again with a little more enthusiasm. <laughs> that's what I did. We did, didn't we? We said to God, it is all yours. So what we're talking about this morning isn't about losing anything. It's about using everything. That's it. That's the subject. It's not about losing anything. It's about using everything as an expression of our life surrendered to God as his sheep. So when Paul talks to the people here in the church at Corinth about this whole issue of what do we do with our material possessions, and that's what we're talking about this week in regards to abundance, he actually, interestingly enough, links material possessions to all of these glorious words like abundance and generosity and being enriched in every way and indescribable things. I mean, he links those two things together. So we would ask the question, how are they linked together? How do you actually link material possessions with some of these things that actually come as a result of surrender or offering over or providing for? Well, I'm going to just note a couple of words that stand out in the text to me, and there may be others for you, but in this process of looking at this theme of what does it mean for us to live abundant lives, rich in every way, I want to highlight just a couple of words that are here in the text. And the first word that I want to draw attention to is the word righteousness. You see it in verse 9. I wonder if we can pull that up there. In verse 9, as it is written, and then there's this quote, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And then the very next verse, in verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That material possessions and righteousness are tied, are linked together somehow. 
Well, first of all, let's look at what the word righteousness means, and then we can look at what that linkage is, is all about. The word righteousness doesn't mean a person who is perfect in every way or a person characterized by perfect compliance. It's a word that's more robust than that. I used that word again, didn't I? It's a word that is more robust than that. To be righteous means to be a person that is principled, and even more than that, that is virtuous. In fact, the word righteous became slang in our culture for a period of time. And you can even find the slang definition if you get to the right dictionary. And the word righteous in slang means to be absolutely genuine or wonderful. And you can kind of see the linkage there, can't you, between the word righteous that talks about virtue and for a person to be absolutely genuine or wonderful. There's something really attractive about being righteous in that way, a person for whom nothing is missing. There's a virtuousness to life. And we also look through the New Testament and we actually see Paul saying that Christ, Paul says, Christ is my righteousness. He knows that's where the source is, that Christ is actually the provider of righteousness. Christ allows me, Christ in me is not only the hope of glory, but it's a hope of me living a life that is characterized by that kind of virtue. I can live a life that is characterized by being genuine. And some even would say, boy, there's something wonderful about the pathway that God is, that, that your life is, is on. There's a righteousness to it that's good and attractive and appreciated. And God is the one, Christ is the one that does it. I don't carry around guilt. I don't, I'm not weighed down by that stuff. God just pours into a person's life. So material possessions... And righteousness, they're found in the same section of Scripture. Why is that? Well, there's a connection there, and it talks about them here. It talks about a harvest of righteousness that comes from, uh, from our lives, that, that actually, if the right seeds are planted, and he's talking about generosity here and material possessions, that righteousness can be acquired. And it doesn't mean that it's kind of like a trade you barter for it. If you, if you give us money, we'll give you righteousness. Like it's this kind of a negotiated settlement thing. You want to buy righteousness? You know, that's been tried a time or two. <laughs> but that's not what we see in the text. We actually see that righteousness is something that is cultivated. It is grown up out of giving. It comes from it. If one makes that choice to live that way, something comes out of the ground, comes off the branch, comes into our life, and it's a righteousness that grows. Material possessions are not the desired goal. They're just simply the means by which the good stuff can really happen. And we talked about this last week, that it's not, it's not the end. It's, it, it helps with the desired goal. This is why Job said, you know, God gives. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God takes away. Blessed be the name of the way. Lord. Because God can actually use both of those things. God, God can actually provide into my life more material possessions. And his purpose is this, is that I would worship him more. That I would trust him more. Sometimes he takes away material possessions and his purpose is the same. That I would worship him more, that I would trust him more. You see, it's just stuff. But it's stuff used as a powerful tool in our life 
because his purposes are so extraordinary that the yield can be this wonderful thing to grow up into Christ-likeness and into righteousness, this harvest of righteousness. He is the righteous one. We know that as we read God's word. We see that in the stories. He's characterized by virtue and faithfulness and all of those things. Well, so he wants that for us. In fact, that's what it means to be Christ-like, actually. We, we reflect his righteousness. He's righteous, and so we can be righteous. And this is the thing that just surprises me uh, oftentimes when I think about it, is what God gifts us with. He actually gives us what people have described as the dignity of causality uh, on, on, on things of substance. For example... Here's, a, here's an element of that, that God actually made us with the capability of creating eternal beings. I mean, isn't that just breathtaking when you think about it? The God of the universe said to the people he created, I'm going to give you the capacity to create immortal beings. <laughs> he gifts us with that. We get to create eternal beings, the dignity of causality. The same thing is true in regards to prayer. He says that he will guide, determine outcomes, create trajectories in people's lives and existence and eternities based on our prayers. That we actually get to offer prayers appeal to God, and God actually changes things in life by our prayers to God. The dignity of causality. You know what I like about that? You have that capacity to influence, and you may be on your deathbed unable to do anything else, and yet you can do some of the most important things that are possible known to humankind. Prayer the dignity of causality. And God does it again here in regards to material possessions. And Paul talks about, look at what happens. You do this very practical, very physical thing, and you provide resources. And what does it say in the text happens? There are people that worship God all over the place because of what you did. It was just stuff, and somehow that stuff is translated into hearts that are hearts that, are, that, are, that become hearts filled with worship and thanksgiving to God, and it was just a check you wrote. Anybody want to be a worship leader? You are. We get to be worship leaders with something as practical as the stuff in our garage. That's what God invites us in, that we actually get to be part of a harvest of righteousness. And that he actually gives us those things in verse 8 so that we may abound in every good work. <laughs> and it's just stuff. But God uses it so powerfully. That's that word righteousness. There's another word here, and it's the word that doesn't surprise any of us. It's the word generosity. And if we look at the text there, we see it 
five times in this text. There's two times in verse 6, two times in verse 11, and a, a fifth time in verse 13, generosity and sharing with him. And actually, if we cheat a little bit and we go back to verse 5, you'll see generosity up there too. Six times in this section of Scripture, Paul is talking material possess- about material possessions, and he's talking about generosity. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. And you say, yeah, because he wants it. No, because he is. And we talked about this last Sunday, that that's where this whole thing starts, is that God is a God of absolute generosity. And so Christian maturity, if it's Christ-likeness, it means if he's characterized by generosity, well, it just stands within reason that that will be true of us as well. In fact, we see it in the text in verse 8. He shares generously. In verse 13, we share generously. Now, I just have to say something about, about Hillcrest. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir on this one. I mean, over and over again, people have said to me, well, what's Hillcrest like? And I said, one of the things you need to know about Hillcrest that is, that is so true of it, it is it is just characterized by people that are filled with generosity. I mean, it is amazing to me. Over and over again, there's a need for water in Core Kenya. Boom. $100,000, $130,000, was it? There's, a, there's an earthquake in Nepal. Boom. We have the principal from Briarwood Middle School, Elementary School come over here and talk about the need. Boom. It's just like that. There's a generosity in this congregation to me that is, it is indescribable. Even recently, we came to the end of the year and our finance people said, you know, and you probably saw some of the reports and some of the things that we were asking you to pray about and to consider along the way. And the finance team said, you know, here's a number that we really feel like we, we need to have to just continue to move forward with the ministry we have. And I looked at that number and I just, uh, I mean, I said to our staff, I, 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 God would just have to do a miracle. Boom. Unbelievable. You folks are unbelievable. Just the generosity that God has filled your hearts with. Just over and over again, we just say, God, can't believe it. (laughs) Just can't believe it. You know what that comes from? That comes from people over time that have learned something about God that God wants all of us to know. So if you're not there yet, um, you've got brothers and sisters in Christ that will be testimony to encouraging you to say, yeah, but you want to get to that place. You want that to be true of your life. And that's what God calls all of us to, actually. It's not just... Thank you, God, that there are those people out there, but thank you, God, that there are those models for me that tell me that it's possible for me to be there as well. And so when we look at generosity here, we ask, okay, so what is Paul talking about here? What's the bottom line? What's the baseline here? Where's the reference point? Well, Paul was in a culture, and and, uh, the culture was really guided by uh, God's work in and God's instruction to his people, and we see all of that in the Old Testament. We see these stories of God's relationship with his people and the call and what that engagement looks like, and this generous God asks them to give. I mean, why do you do that? 
God, you've got, you've got it. Why do you do that? And we see the reasons why he doesn't. We'll talk a little bit more about that right now. But when he asks them to be generous, there are a couple of words that appear oftentimes in the Old Testament. One is the word tithe, which is a reference to 10%. In some contexts, even more than that, as you add up the different ways that that happens. But to 10% of the resources that they're able to receive and to possess, the 10% of that goes towards God's work around thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the tithe. And then there's something called the offerings, and that's what's over and beyond it. I was reading through Second Chronicles just recently, and in the building of the temple, there was this call for people to give their tithes. And then there was this invitation for people to give their offerings. The tithes is just what we do as God's people. That's what it means for us to live in a trust relationship with him. But there's an invitation even beyond that for generosity above that. And in the Old Testament, it was referred to as offerings that were given. In the context of Paul's exhortation, he's talking about very generous giving. When you start to add up those numbers, you and I, we know what those numbers are like, and we know the implications they have. It was no different for people back then. And this is what the call was, actually, to those things. And I remember saying as a kid, yeah, but that was the Old Testament. I know the Old Testament. So there's a bunch in the Old Testament that doesn't necessarily directly pertain to us today. I mean, animal sacrifices, tithing, all of that. And that really worked well for me until someone pointed me to Matthew chapter 23 and says, well, look at what Jesus continues to say. And Jesus speaking to a number of very um, uh, 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 God-fearing people. He says, yeah, you know what? You're really good at the tithe thing. In fact, you've got it nailed in regards to the smallest portions of even, even spices that you have. You'll figure out exactly what 10% of that is and allocate it to God's work. Well, why don't you just try something else? Why don't you do that and try things like justice and mercy and faithfulness beside? You see, he doesn't say, hey, you guys, that's the Old Testament. Jesus said, that's good. But how about other exhibits of what it means to follow God and to live as a reflection of him? You see, Jesus never got rid of that. And so when Paul was speaking about this, we know in that context, that's what those people would have heard him say. Generous here is not a new baseline. It's in reference to the existing baseline that was already there. So what's God doing? I know what he's doing. He's placing me in a position where I can't afford to do it. Exactly, Mark. It's exactly what he's doing. He's placing you, Mark, in a position where you will have to trust him. Remember when you said that back between your junior and senior year in high school? That's right. That's what he does. He puts us in those positions where we say over and over again, God I need you to show up. And God puts us in positions where we have to trust him. Do you know why? (laughs) So that we'll know he's trustworthy. (laughs) That's it. He puts us in positions where we need to trust because it's the only way I will ever know (laughs) that he is trustworthy worthy you see there it is (laughs) that's what he doesn't have and wants 
my heart of devotion and worship of him. There you go again, God. Providing what it says in verse 8. And God is able, able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And that's why we come to this other word that we see in the text, and it's the word cheerful. Verse 4, God loves a cheerful giver. That we would give is not God's goal. That we would give is not God's goal. God's goal is that we would give with a heart of cheerfulness and joy. Maybe not in every place and every time. It certainly wasn't true for me when I started out. But it comes from the acknowledgement that God does exactly what we see in verse 8. And so there's a sense of, yes, Lord, I'm doing it again. I'm placing, I'm placing you in the position you belong in and me in the position I belong in. And I know I will say in retrospect, I'm so glad I'm doing this. And there's a cheerfulness and delight in that. The principle of sowing and reaping that we read about in verse 6. We know those principles. You reap what you sow. It's true. Whatever it is that you sow, uh, you reap that. You reap more than you sow. That's another principle of reaping and sowing. And that's where the indescribable nature of it comes from. Yeah, God, you are just so multiplied. Your generosity is multiplied towards me. And we, we reap in a different season than we sow. And there may be some of you in this congregation, in our church family right now, that are just saying, you know, this is not, hot. This is not easy right now. Um, but the principle of sowing and reaping is that God knows that. He's cultivating something in your life, in our lives, that he longs to do because he's good to us. And the season will come when we all just sit back and we say, he did it again. He provided above and beyond anything we could have even asked for or imagined. And it wasn't even in the category that we thought we needed it. But there is enriching our lives. The harvest comes. And then there's one more word here that I want to give attention to. And it's the word decided. Paul says, give as you have decided in your heart to give. In fact, if you go back this week and you know, page up a, a, a verse or two, you actually see that Paul says to them ahead of time, I want, I want you to know this ahead of time. I'm coming so that when I come, it will be something you would have had a chance to think through and consider and get ready for. And that's why at the beginning of a, a new year, it's a time when we're doing all sorts of evaluating. It's important for us to just to take some time to sit back and say, what am I doing? What are my values? What are my goals? And so it's not something that happens out of impulse, but it is something that happens out of actually plan and intentionality. And it says here, decided in your heart. 
And we use the word heart to kind of talk about heartfelt, and it's just purely emotional and feelings. And the word heart in the Greek here means more than that. The heart is the seat, the governing body for our emotions. That's what the heart is. It's the core of who we are in our identity. And our identity decides what it is we do. That's why God talks about first fruits. It's the, it's the, it's the statement from the get-go that declares who we are and what matters most. The heart determines those kinds of things together and, 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 and walks forward with them because a decision has been made that won't be retracted in the emotion of a moment or adjusted in the emotion of a moment. No, it's a guiding principle for the way a person is. And the word obedience is in here. And you might say, well, wait, it says we're not supposed to give under compulsion. There's a difference between obedience and compulsion. I'll tell you what compulsion is. Compulsion is what I saw yesterday in the hardware store. I was in one of these big box hardware stores, and there was this young boy, and he was as uncompliant as you could possibly imagine. No kidding, it was a spectacle. Everybody wanted to be over in the lights department because we were just watching this train wreck happen. <laughs> Nobody was leaving. And there was this mom and this kid, and this kid just started yelling at his mom. And, you know, I thought to myself, he's heard that before. <laughs> it kind of goes both ways sometimes. And he just yelled in such a belligerent manner towards his mom. And mom totally embarrassed. And she was trying to get him on one of these big carts with things on it. And he would stick his feet out and just make it go everywhere. Carnage in the aisles. And she was just trying not to, uh, probably, I, I don't know, she, just, trying to, just trying to manage things. And you know what? She exercised compliance management. It was not obedience. You see, there's a difference. Compliance or coercion or compulsion is one thing. We're not invited into that. We are, however, invited into, called into obedience because obedience is an expression of regard. It is a practical statement of belonging. It's what it is. God, I belong to you. And so Paul says, think about things long enough that you decide in your heart what's going on and who you are. And then you discover in your life what God wants for you to reap a harvest of everything that God was intended for our lives to be like. You know, my guess is, you know, even, even folks that didn't buy lottery tickets this week, right? Uh, would say, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't buy one, but I was thinking about it. I just dreamed a little bit. You know, what if someone slipped one under my door and it was a winning ticket? What, what would I get with that? You know, and then, and then nobody slipped it under your door and you didn't win. And then you just do the other thing. Well, they're not happy anyway. You know, actually, it's true. You know, the data and the research actually discovers that more often than not, surprisingly, more often than not, people that receive a windfall of resources describe afterwards that um, 
it was, it was the quality of life actually decreased in measurable ways that mattered a lot. I mean, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? But over and over again, that's, that's what we hear from people in, that, in those situations. But you know what? I have yet to hear in all of my years of ministry someone come up to me and said, I gave, I've given generously, and the quality of my life has declined. In fact, I have heard over and over again unsolicited people say, I learned these lessons and live this way, and I have absolutely no regret in my life. It's true. That's why God wants it for you and for me. May God give you wisdom as you analyze what it means to follow him and walk into a life of abundance. Next week, we're going to talk about a couple of other categories that don't necessarily come quickly to mind. But for this week, I'm going to ask you to do, to continue on that list we talked about last time, to actually continue to pile that list of what is it that you have in your hand? What is it that you have in your hand that God says, let me, let me help you use that in a way that will be enriching to you? And now we've talked about stuff. And I would just encourage you to begin to add to the list. What are the material possessions that God has placed in your hand? And ask him, God, how can I use these in the way you long for me to use them that will bring joy to me and glory to you? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a God of generosity and that even in, even in making this, uh, this truth clear to us, uh, the reason is you want our lives to be filled with abundance. You made us for that, Lord. Help us, each one of us, Lord, to trust you in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.